Welcome to Historical Jesus. I'm Mark Vinette. I intend to explore a range of views on the topic throughout this series, so that both Christians and non-Christians can enrich their understanding of the Galilean preacher. Let's listen to renowned Bible scholar Jimmy Aiken continue to present his thought-provoking arguments in support of a historical Jesus. What about the Gospel of Matthew? The evidence suggests that Matthew was written after Mark. Matthew was written before the destruction of the temple, before this happened, because if it were after, then he would clearly distinguish the material about the destruction of the temple and the material about the end of the world so that the reader wouldn't confuse these two events. Then there are passages in Matthew that assume the temple is still standing and that provide information that would only be useful to Matthew's readers if it were still functioning. One such passage is found in Matthew 5. If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. This advice was relevant to Jewish Christians while the temple was still standing, and they could go there and make an offering at the altar. But it lost the significance when the temple was destroyed. Another such passage is found in Matthew 17. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the half-shekel tax went up to Peter and said, Does not your teacher pay the tax? He said, Yes. And when he came home, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tribute? From their sons or from others? And when he said, From others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. This passage is particularly important, although the reason why won't be immediately obvious to a modern Bible reader. Jesus implies in this passage that he does not need to pay the temple tax, but is willing to do so anyway to avoid giving offense. And this principle extends from him to his followers, Christians, who are also sons of God. The reason this is significant is not just that Jewish Christians wouldn't need to pay the temple tax once the structure was in ruins, although that is significant. It's also because the Romans repurposed the tax so that it supported the temple of Jupiter best and greatest, i.e. the Capitoline Temple in Rome. The Jewish historian Josephus reports... The emperor Domitian also laid a tribute upon the Jews wheresoever they were and enjoined every one of them to bring two drachma every year into the capital as they used to pay the same to the temple at Jerusalem. Similarly, the Roman historian Cassius Dio states, From that time forth it was ordered that the Jews who continued to observe their ancestral customs should pay an annual tribute of two denarii to Jupiter Capitolinus. Some Jews tried to avoid paying this tax, which amounted to just two days' wages, because they thought it represented idolatry, and sometimes they would try to avoid it with the expedient of posing as Gentiles. Yet, payment was rigorously enforced, at times in humiliating ways. The Roman historian Suetonius reports, Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-218-6010. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. 
Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-218-6010. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-218-6010. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Besides other taxes, that on the Jews was levied with the utmost rigor, and those were persecuted who, without publicly acknowledging that faith, yet lived as Jews, as well as those who concealed their origin and did not pay the tribute levied upon their people. I recall being present in my youth when the person of a man 90 years old was examined before the procurator in a very crowded court to see whether he was circumcised. So they stripped a 90-year-old man naked in public to see if he was circumcised and needed to pay the tax. Diverting money that originally supported the temple in Jerusalem to support the key temple in Rome was an enormous insult to Jewish sensibilities, and the fact that they were forced to pay it was a profound humiliation. For Matthew, if he was writing after A.D. 70, to portray Jesus as condoning the payment of this tax would have risked confusing, alienating, or outraging members of his audience. Jesus could even be seen as understood as giving permission to financially support idolatry so as not to give offense. All of this points to Matthew being written before 70, so we can narrow our range to between 80, 55, and 70. That gives us a range of about 15 years. Can we narrow it down further? We have a good date for the Gospel of Luke, which was written about AD 59, so if we can establish Matthew's relationship with Luke, we could get a more precise date for his Gospel. We thus need to consider theories about how the two Gospels are related, and there are three basic ones. First, Matthew and Luke wrote independently of each other, so they didn't know about each other and can't really establish anything from that relationship. Second, Luke used Matthew in composing his gospel, so Matthew came first and then Luke used it. Third, Matthew used Luke, so Luke came first and Matthew used him. We won't go through all the evidence for these options in detail, but I'll tell you which one I favor. It's the view that Mark wrote first, then Luke used Mark, and then Matthew used both Mark and Luke. Since this view has Matthew coming last of the three synoptics, it's called Matthean posteriority. It's also sometimes called the Vilki hypothesis. And what leads you to favor Matthean posteriority? The basic argument is that Matthew simply appears to be a more developed literary work. Particularly striking is the fact that sayings of Jesus that are scattered all over the place in Luke are organized into obvious topical blocks in Matthew, like the Sermon on the Mount, which combines all of Jesus's major ethical teachings in one place. This is easy to explain if Matthew wrote later. He was simply an organizer, and so he organized the sayings he found in Luke and other sources. However, the reverse is harder to explain. If Luke used Matthew, then he would have had to smash Matthew's beautifully organized blocks and scatter the material around in a far less obviously organized way. At least on the level of appearances, it's hard to avoid the scholar Reginald Fuller's rather brusque assessment that if Luke used Matthew, Luke would present us with a case of unscrambling the egg with a vengeance. 
The scholar B.H. Streeter put the matter even more brusquely when he said that a theory which would make an author capable of such a proceeding would only be tenable if, on other grounds, we had reason to believe that he was a crank. Now, Streeter's too harsh, but I still come to the conclusion, at least tentatively, that Luke wrote before Matthew. And that would put the writing of Matthew after Luke was released in 59 and before the temple was destroyed in 70. Do we have any external evidence, evidence outside the Gospels, that might confirm that? In this case, there is a piece of confirmatory external evidence. Writing around 180 to 190, St. Irenaeus of Lyon says, Matthew also issued a written gospel among the Hebrews in their own dialect, while Peter and Paul were preaching at Rome and laying the foundation of the church. Notice that Irenaeus says Matthew wrote his gospel while Peter and Paul were preaching at Rome. Peter arrived in Rome in the A.D. 50s, according to some even earlier, and Paul arrived there in A.D. 58. The two men were then martyred there in the 60s, with Peter being martyred in 65 or 66 and Paul being martyred in 67. That would put Matthew between the release of Luke in 59 and the death of Peter in 65 or 66. We might thus estimate Matthew's composition as having been around the midpoint of that range, say, A.D. 63. What about the fact that Irenaeus says Matthew wrote among the Hebrews in their own dialect? What should we make of that? In Greek, the phrase for in their own dialect is te idia dialecto, which could mean in their own language, Hebrew or Aramaic, and many people have understood it to mean this. On the other hand, the phrase can also just mean that he wrote in a Jewish style, which would be true. Matthew is widely recognized as the most Jewish of the Gospels. So whether there was a Hebrew or Aramaic original of Matthew that was then translated into Greek, or whether he merely wrote it in Greek in a Jewish style, does not really affect the dating of the gospel. Matthew still seems to have been written around AD 63. Visit my YouTube channel, Timeline, for additional historical video content. If you enjoy what we do, check the show notes and try supporting us in any way that you can. Please share this podcast with a friend. I'm Mark Vinette. Thank you for sharing your time with me. Doctors endorse it, nutritionists recommend it, and customers love it. Calotrin Healthy Weight Loss Ron in Texas lost 35 pounds. Marie in Pennsylvania lost 117 pounds with Calotrin. Diane not only lost weight, but she also found relief from arthritis. Lynn lost over 45 pounds. Calotrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body which decreases as we age. Taking Calatrin promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. Calatrin has an amazing 86% success rate with their 90-day supply. And this week, take advantage of their President's Day sale. Buy the 90-day supply and get an extra month free plus free shipping. Ordering is so easy. Just text the word HISTORY to the code 
30605 and we'll send you a link to the special offer. Again, text HISTORY, that's H-I-S-T-O-R-Y, using the code 30605.